0: Hello, we're back for another installment of our monthly series Pit Stop, and it's great to be back uh, to talk about different topics and and, and uh, tune up uh, with refining Experts. It's, uh, uh, Hi, it's Doug. wonderful. Hey, hey, hey Jeannie. <laughs> this is Doug Aswell, and uh, Jeannie's my co-host, my trusty sidekick, How and it's are good you to have you morning? back after a sabbatical for a little I while.
1: I know. I know. Yeah, I'm doing
0: <laughs> great, doing great. You know, we hope you've been enjoying this this podcast series. We've talked about a variety of different topics from alkylation to wet scrubbing to hydroprocessing. And all of our previous uh, discussions with our different panels of experts are out there available on refiningpitstop.com. So uh, Jeannie, refresh me on what we're doing today.
1: So today, we um, are going to be discussing how to manage NOX emissions from the FCC. Uh, we'll be joined by Scott Eagleson and Ed Hutter, our Belco scrubbing experts. But um, as you may recall, in the past, um, we talked with these gentlemen about socks. Yes. Socks.
0: Oh, nice, nice. Socks. <laughs>
1: Sorry, I had to have a visual. I thought I um, smelled but- something. Oh, yeah, they're kind of dirty. So speaking of dirty, we talked about how to remove socks and particulate matter from the gas exiting the FCC, but today we're going to focus our um, discussion on NOx. So um, this is important for uh, meeting compliance uh, emissions regulations for FCCs.
0: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and and, you know, we talked previously about these uh, Belco scrubbers and how versatile they are, and this is yet another exactly for that and that's uh, fantastic like so
1: socks you know they can be used as mittens i mean you can use them for so many things
0: sock puppets i mean I there's know. all kind of stuff you can do with socks right <laughs> but uh, but yeah i mean the belco scrubbers are, are very versatile and uh, meet a variety of different needs for in, in different ways so so with all that said let's get going on to our next pit stop All right, it's awesome to be back uh here we go another month and uh you know uh, we've got our guest with us scott eagleson and ed
1: hutter hey guys it's Hi. good to
0: have you with us and today uh we're going to be talking about some additional options with belco scrubbers and uh you know we we talked about this before scott and you're a pro at this you've been with us before uh, ed give us an opportunity to get to know something about you uh you know how long you've been with with DuPont or, or Belco and, and then uh, Scott, any, any updates for you. So Ed,
2: go ahead. Sure, I'm currently the new licensing leader for uh, Belco and DynaWave Scrubber Systems mm-hmm. and also the low-tax technology I've been with Belco about 17 years. And uh, before that was uh, working at BOC, selling oxygen and nitrogen plants, which is where I first learned about the tox technology.
0: No, the whole cool. oxygen, se- uh, nitrogen separation units that they that they yeah. sell
1: all over? Okay, cool. All
2: right.
0: Yeah, big ASUs, yeah.
1: hmm
0: yeah, I've seen a lot of those all over the place. Awesome, yeah.
1: And Scott, refresh oh. our memories.
0: Yes.
3: Only thing I can think of is new the last time we talked, I was probably almost 30 years with, uh, with Belco DuPont. Now I'm, I'm over 30 years.
0: Oh, okay.
3: Well, that's he's, over thir- 30 years. he's
1: over 30 years old. Look yes. at that. Yes. That's, <laughs> that's awesome.
3: And uh, you know, continue to work on FCC flue gas cleaning systems, whether
0: it's scrubbers or third stage separators. Yep. and been doing that for decades. So you haven't climbed K2 or Everest in the last few months since we saw you or anything? Like I don't that? think I've gone anywhere
3: since uh, the last <laughs> few months. I've been locked up in my office.
0: Yeah.
1: Yes, I, as as we all have. We all have been
0: sequestered <laughs> due to COVID. That's for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. Thank you, COVID. In
1: 2020, well, let's, eat it to the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> well, yep. let's get this party started. Absolutely. So, you know, as we're talking about Knox, um, mm-hmm. you know, first of all, why are we talking about Knox? Why are people interested? in reducing NOx. Um, can one of you guys give us a heads up on that?
2: Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, NOx is uh, an acid rain uh, component. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think the bigger thing that it causes is uh, ground-level ozone. So NOx mm-hmm. from uh, big uh, emission sources, such as an FCC or a power plant, uh, or cars, you know, lots of smaller sources, uh, ends up in the atmosphere. Uh, the NOx reacts with uh, other things in the atmosphere, like uh, VOCs and CO, and it starts this whole chain reaction that ends up in ground-level ozone. And as we all know from seeing the weather forecast on a, a nice, hot, sunny day, yes, ground-level ozone causes, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, irritation to uh, the respiratory systems of humans. So, you know, it becomes a uh, you know, uh, uh, ozone uh, advisory day, So uh, mm-hmm. you know, people, you know, with asthma and other uh, breathing problems have a lot of trouble on those. Days.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And I know in a lot of different industries, there's pretty tight regulations on NOx emissions from those plants. And uh, give us an idea of how NOx are, are normally, uh, you know, prevented from being uh, released, but specifically, What do they do in FCCs to uh, prevent NOx from being formed or get rid of it out of those gases?
3: Well, I I was going to say, you know, in in any combustion process, you're going to have potential for NOx Mm formation. Just the combustion, you got air, you got nitrogen. Sometimes you have nitrogen in the fuels and you end up with NOx.
0: Sure.
3: So, you know, in FCC, um, you know, since you've got a big regenerator, which is a combustion device, you're burning coke and, um, you know, you're combusting it. So, You'll get NOx formation in that region in the FCC regenerator, and uh, most of the NOx that forms really comes from nitrogen that's in the feed that ends up on the coke, and so you, you get NOx formation that way. Um, you're putting combustion air in, but your temperatures in the regenerator are kind of low, and your oxygen levels are kind of low, so that kind of limits the formation of thermal NOx. Right. Um, so in a partial burn FCC, so you're, you're generating NOx in there, and then. Uh, You know, you can also get some NOx formation like a partial burn FCC has, operates, you know, uh, not with excess oxygen, you have lack of oxygen and then you go down Mm. to a CO boiler downstream and you combust the NOx, combust the the CO. In that combustion process, you know, again, you're adding air, sometimes you're adding fuel and, you know, you can get some thermal NOx forming there. So those are the avenues of how you're producing NOx in the FCC.
1: So, yeah. how are we controlling it? Not we, um, but in general, what are the options for well, uh, controlling yeah. NOx on the well, back? Well, I end? mean, so so
3: on, on the FCC on the regenerator side of things, you, you know, you have the, the operators have some ability to control NOx that way. They can, you know, play with the O2 balance in the regenerator in a full burn unit. And I, I've been to refineries where, you know, they'll they'll look at the CEMS and monitoring the stack emissions and they'll be high on NOx. And uh, they'll lower, they'll they'll cut back on the O2 that's in their, the O2 that's in the regenerator, or, or really the O2 that shows up in the stack.
0: Mm-hmm. Their NOx
3: goes down, uh, but then their CO starts to go up because they don't have right. enough oxygen to combust all the CO. Mm-hmm. So to get their CO in compliance, they add more, you know, go with higher oxygen, and then the, the NOx goes up. So there's an avenue to play there. Uh, people will look at regenerator temperatures a little yeah, bit exactly. to uh, to do that.
0: Yep. And one of the things you mentioned. A minute ago was uh you know nitrogen in the feed i think there's
3: organic sources of nitrogen like in the in in the the, you know in in the oils that you're you're processing right right. your coke is coming from you know heavy oil products that you're cracking right in the fcc so it it gets you know embedded on the coke Mm -hmm. and that's where you, you get the combustion from the in the in the feed process Okay. But, you know, so on their generator side again, they can also use combustion promoters, um, generally in an FCC to help minimize CO. Mm-hmm. And there's some combustion promoters which will make the NOx go up, platinum-based ones, and they can go to non-platinum-based combustion promoters, and that will reduce some of the NOx. And there's also catalyst additives that FCC catalyst suppliers will supply that, Dnox um, catalyst additives. You can add to the FCC catalyst inventory and they'll help reduce the knocks.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But th- those are th- those are ways that you know you can deal with the knocks up on the regenerator side of things. And I think right. most refiners, you know, ha- optimize those first because that's the easiest path sure. forward to tack it on the regenerator, not adding equipment. Right. So, you know, if, if you go to the you know, you can control knocks downstream too. And you know, in a partial burn unit, you know, again, we have the CO combustion. People use SNCR where you've got, you know, combustion process. You're going to inject ammonia or urea. That'll uh, give you selective non-catalytic reduction of NOx in the uh, in the CO boiler. Ammonia and urea injection, and yeah. uh, you know, a lot of that is based on how much, what the temperature profiles are in are in the boiler, or how you inject it, uh, what retention times you have.
0: Availability. So, I mean, you from 20 to
3: 60 percent reduction that way. Yeah. Okay. You know, but that's only for partial burn FCC and people who have partial burn FCCs. that's a good approach to, to do is to, to try to use SNCR for that.
0: So it sounds like there's a lot of potential options to help get the NOx down to an acceptable you
2: level. Know, and, and we right. got some more. But oh, some of those also have some adverse effects like, uh, uh, you know, DNOx additives and, and changing your CO promoter. Uh, you know, those can have effects on your FCC conversion, you know, trying to get the right products yeah. out of the FCC. So, I mean, some of those additives don't come free, you know, they, they come right. at a little bit of a, a price there. <clears throat> and if they
3: worked really well and got the knocks down really low, we wouldn't be talking about NOx control and down, other downstream devices. But, gotcha. you know, they, they do what they can do. Um, You know, so if you need to get to really low reductions, you know, you start to get into 90 plus percent removal, Mm -hmm. then you're talking about SCRs, selective catalytic reduction, which is a big, uh, a big box in the flue gas line, but, you know, downstream of some of the waste heat recovery. And -hmm. before you get to the stack and uh, it's a big catalyst bed and you're running flue gas through there and you're going to inject some ammonia in the front end and that'll give you a reduction in ox. Um, you need a good temperature profile window to make those work. So you need a window that's somewhere like 600 to 750F. Okay. So you kind of, you know, it, a it, minimum threshold. Heat recovery so now mm-hmm. you can only have heat recovery in a waste heat boiler for the 600 degrees or 650 or 750. Mm-hmm. Then you have your SCR. Then if you want to get some more heat out of that, you have to put an economizer and more heat recovery afterwards. So you know, on a new FCC, it's something to think about because you're building a new heat recovery unit. But on an existing FCC, you got to start cutting back on heat recovery, adding a device, and adding something else.
0: Finding somewhere to put it because you have other equipment around it, and yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: And, so and, you know, and, and there's a number of them out there
0: being used, mm,
2: and, and they, they take up a lot 15. of space. <laughs>
0: yeah, a lot of space. It has some pressure drop. Okay. So, so how does Belco fit in this? We're another option or is it so, a better So, I mean, generally I,
3: I've said this before, the Belco scrubber is at the end of the tailpipe, you know, right. we're going to see that we're going to see the, the socks, we're going to see the particulate mm-hmm. and we're at that back end. And if there's nothing else upstream, we're going to see the NOx. And we have a process, the low process, which will provide the NOx removal as part of the wet scrubber and, um, you know, as a scrubbing socks in particular, it'll scrub the nox.
0: Okay. Very good. Cool, all right. So how does this uh, low-tox process work? I mean, uh, it, does it require uh, some reagents
2: or uh, like you were solvent, talking
0: about, or additives? Or... Or, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, how does it work?
2: Yeah, so uh, the, the big thing that we do is we inject ozone into the flue gas. So mm. that's, as you would say, the reactant Uh, The ozone is going to react with the NOx, which is primarily NO, but also some NO2. Mm -hmm. And that's going to make an oxidized form, uh, N2O5. And then the N2O5 mixes with all the water vapor that is in the wet scrubber, and it's going to form nitric acid. And nitric acid is the acid gas that can form uh, both in the atmosphere and in our scrubber. But in the scrubber, we can control it and we can remove it very easily. It actually scrubs even easier than SO2, which is a relatively easy gas to scrub. So, you know, as Scott shows in that little graphic, you know, we inject the ozone just downstream the quench nozzle. And, you know, that makes it very flexible because variations in the flue gas temperature that Scott mentioned for an SCR Mm -hmm. uh, won't upset the low-tox process. Uh, Because when you quench it, you get a relatively stable uh, temperature zone in the scrubber, whereas the upstream flue gas temperature could range from 400, 500, 600, 700, 800 degrees F. The quench and saturation temperature in the scrubber may only change 10 or 20 degrees, and it's well within the envelope. Uh, for the low tox process right
0: because in that scrubber you've got a lot of mass of water in there so it's it's doing humidification cooling and pretty much stable uh, throughout those all all those
2: temperature ranges right it always ends up at the adiabatic saturation temperature exactly yep. and once you inject the ozone it just needs a little bit of time and then the reactions are complete hmm. so it's a pretty yep. simple robust process
0: yeah, and the ozone gives you a very highly oxidating uh, atmosphere in, in that part of the, the scrubber and, and does the oxidation of the NOx. So yeah, it's,
2: and it's, it, the reaction kinetics are very selective for the NOx also, so there's, there's ah. no side reactions with uh, SO2 or CO or anything. So okay. it's, it's very effective at only reacting with the NOx.
0: So is this something that uh, really needs to be looked at as a grassroots development for a new plant, or is this something that can be added to an existing facility?
1: Right.
3: So, I, I mean, on, on new scrubbers, you know, whenever we're talking to a client, we'll certainly talk to them about the, you know, uh, putting NOx control on there. Sometimes there's a regulatory requirement on a new project, sometimes they're not. Right. You know, and if there's not, you, you know, the, the client will talk to them about saying, look, you, you could put the provisions in today if you need, if you potentially right. need to control NOx down the road, if five years from now or 10 years from now, someone's going to say, hey, you need to reduce those NOx emissions. Mm-hmm. We can build the scrubber with the place to put the ozone injection in and the space for the ozone oxidation reactions. We can build that into the scrubber today and then just supply the scrubber as, you know, SOx removal and particular removal. Right, And then later in the future, they can put, uh, add in the, the ozone injection.
0: Right. That's if regulations cool, change or they're they're right. doing sure. something different with the facility or something and they need it uh, kind of situation. Yeah. So, they're
3: the, you know, they're, it's a pre-investment. <clears throat> Obviously, there's some capital involved in that. Sure. But once you've done that, you know, you're set. So 10 years from now, someone yeah. says, hey, 100 ppm of NOx is too high. You need to be down at 10. Well, right. some people's scrubbers are configured that way. So... I want to say we got quite a few units out there that are configured like that. And a number of clients through the years have gone ahead and pulled that trigger to, to upgrade it to do the NOx control. Gotcha. Right. So
1: do you have to have the uh, pre, um, and do you have to pre-plan for it? Or is this something that you can retrofit later if you didn't pre-plan?
3: It, it, it's easier to retrofit if you do pre-plan.
1: Of course. <laughs> but,
3: <you> know, <laughs> obviously we you know we supplied a number of scrubbers before we were involved in controlling NOx. And uh, those were just designed strictly for a particulate and sox removal. And we've gone back and uh, retrofitted those. You have to, you know, if you kind of remember that graphic, we were quenching the gas and injecting ozone and there was some space for the oxidation reactions. So what you kind of have to do with those existing scrubbers is kind of create that kind of scenario. And And we've done a number of units by basically, you know putting a a tower in front of the existing scrubber that moves the quench forward you quench, mm-hmm. saturate the gas, then you have a little tower space for the reactions and it flows into the existing scrubber. So we've got a, a, a bunch of units like that.
2: Hmm. And yeah, we've sure. also done one with uh, making the space downstream of the existing scrubber. Yep. We uh, did one where, I, well, we did two kind of where we made space in the existing scrubber, yep. took out some uh, unneeded stuff and, and made the reaction zone in, a, in an existing scrubber. So, yeah, you, know. you know, we've done it a lot of different ways and, and we've looked at uh, putting it on uh, the competitor scrubbers as well. So there's well, a lot I was of. Well, and we, we have put you're... it on the competitor
3: scrubber. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, yeah, my next question. Right. Yeah. yeah, I was
2: wondering. But was I mean, without uh, creating the, the separate vessel, you know, even yeah. doing it just in the existing tower without uh, creating so much residence time. Yeah. So, you know, we,
3: we've done lots of low-tox units out there for docs control and, you know, we've gotten very good at it, at, at optimizing it, you know, and trying to make, you know, when you
0: have an existing scrubber, trying
3: to make the best out of it.
1: Yeah.
0: So how long yeah. have we been uh, doing low-tox and like how many units are out there? Just out of curiosity, if you were
2: to take a guess. Well, I think it's been uh, something like 17 years that we've been working with the low tox process. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even longer, because that certainly predates the time that I was with Belco. I was <laughs> I was still at BOC when Belco started uh, working with the low tox process. Sure. So maybe even 18 or 19. Okay. Um, and overall, I, I don't remember the number exactly on the installation list, but uh, I think we got about. Uh, what twenty-five or thirty units operating, Scott, and oh, wow. more pre-invested?
3: Yeah, I think with the, with the pre-investments, it's over uh, over fifty units.
2: Yeah. Oh
0: wow. Okay. Wow, that's great. That's awesome. So, uh, you know, I guess one of the things that you have to go through with clients is determining what's the best option? It sounds like there's a lot of options for NOx removal. How do you know, or how should the client be able to identify, you know, we ought to be looking at LOTOX for our situation because of X, Y, and Z. So so what would those criteria be for uh, comparing to other alternatives that may exist?
2: Right. So some of the big advantages that LOTOX brings is, you know, a guaranteed emission um, at the tailpipe. So as Scott said, you know, we're the last Will fix the emission. Some of the other methods that Scott uh, talked about, whether it's SCR or, uh, sorry, SNCR or uh, different things within the FCC, Mm -hmm. um, they may work. uh, You know, I hate to put it this way, they may work today. And they may not work next week, and you'll be scratching your head saying, "Gosh, last week we could make 50 ppm, and this week we can only make 55 ppm. What right. what changed?" Um, you know, the LOTOX technology brings with it a set point, so sure. you, it it's a guaranteed uh, emission limit. You type it in, and the ozone system will produce only enough ozone to meet that emission. So. The operator has flexibility to um, type in a little bit higher number or a little bit lower number. Maybe there's seasonal variations in what the refinery has to uh, comply with, or maybe there's rolling averages that the refinery has to Mm. comply with. That's very Mm -hmm. common in the U.S. where you say, well, I have to have, uh, you know, 10 ppm, 365 day average, but a 20 ppm, seven day average or something. So uh, the set point flexibility gives you some ability to minimize utility consumptions at the same time Mm -hmm. you're meeting your compliance requirements. So that's one big advantage that LOTOX brings uh, to some of those other technologies where, uh, you know, you can't always uh, meet a certain emission level, and you don't know why. Right. Um, in no. regard to an SCR, the, the big uh, reason would be SCRs, like Scott mentioned, it's a fixed bed of catalyst in the flue gas train. Mm-hmm. Well, FCCUs sometimes have particulate upset situations mm-hmm. where maybe 20, 50, 100 tons of catalysts suddenly leave the FCC regenerator and are on their way to the scrubber and the SCR. And you know that level of particulate coming to the SCR can cause some difficulties with uh, the effectiveness of the catalyst, the efficiency of the catalyst. Um, and those same FCCU upsets don't present any problems for the low-tox technology. The mm. scrubber will knock out enough particulate, and the NOx emissions will continue to be met. So uh, that's one big advantage. Um, You know, I'm sure you've all heard of uh, situations with your car where your catalytic converter starts plugging up, increasing the pressure drop, Mm -hmm. and you're losing power in your engine. And it's almost like the same thing can happen with the SCR catalyst. If it starts plugging up, the FCC is going to start losing power. And it's not where the rubber meets the road as it is with the car, you know, power to go up a hill, but it's power to crack the hydrocarbons and make the the hydrocarbons that
1: you want kind of important
2: yeah yeah and and that (laughs) very that very situation happened to me and my
0: brother on a vacation going to uh, Idaho to go trout fishing and we were going up a hill and this tiny car was just passing us in his jeep he's like dude I got a major problem so I know exactly what you're talking about
2: yeah exactly so I mean the low tox process you know takes uh, not, basically doesn't have anything in the flue gas train. I mean, we have mm-hmm. some, some lances that inject the ozone, but they've run through all kinds of uh, situations and have never plugged up. So, yep. um, you know, that I was the reliability.
3: Chime oh, I was going to chime in a little bit on, the, yeah, sure. on those other technologies. Mm-hmm. You know, the things that are happening up at the regenerator, you know, and, and even with an SNCR that are, you know, doing NOx reductions, you know, but not getting it to the very low outlets you need at the stack. They play really nice with low tox because you know you, you can take an easy reduction upstream, right? You know, get 50% reduction, get 60% reduction, and then to get down to those low numbers, you have low tox as part of a scrubber at the tail end,
0: like a polishing scrubber. Yeah,
3: yeah, right. Exactly. exactly. So I mean, they 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 work really well together.
1: it's not a requirement it's not as if you know to get to really low ppm levels you're going to have to have additional stuff in front of the low tox the low tox could do it all by itself is that correct
3: sure but it it makes the economics
2: work out nicer
1: got it yeah it
2: certainly could the utility costs start increasing you know if you're talking about a a very high nox inlet concentration
1: got it okay
0: Yep. great And, and the utility cost is the ozone generator using Electrical power to make
2: the ozone, right? Exactly. It uses okay. electrical power and it uses oxygen uh, that has to be uh, piped in or trucked in. So right, right. Okay, well, cool. If
0: when you're talking to a client about about the LOTOX add on to a Belco, or are building it in from the beginning? What is the thing that really makes this especially unique for our client base uh,
2: um, when when they're considering it? Yeah, I think some of the unique features, uh, you know, I've talked about the the guaranteed uh, NOx outlet, and we've talked about avoiding uh, catalyst beds in the flue gas stream. But one of the other things that makes it unique is, uh, you know, when you have a a FCC and it's all laid out and all the equipment's existing, a lot of times there's not really space to put a big bed of catalyst in there. Right. Um, You know, refineries fill up whatever empty space is around the FCC with other equipment. Sure. And, you know, then there's no space to put this big catalyst bed ducts, uh, ammonia injection skids and things. Um, with the low tox technology, it doesn't really need a lot of footprint right in the immediate area of the FCC scrubber. So um, the, uh, the equipment that we put in the scrubber is very, very small, doesn't take up a lot of space. The external ozone generation equipment can be located some distance away where, you know, maybe you have some space, 100 meters, you know, 300 feet away, uh, maybe more, depending mm-hmm. on how things uh, need to be. So, you know, that's uh, something that is unique about the low technology. Yeah, it's convenient to try to fit it into a very tight area. Yeah. Gotcha. Good. Okay, very good.
1: Fantastic. So, how low can we go? I was
0: going to ask that same thing. Jane. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> let's play
1: limbo. Let's, how let's low them- can <laughs> we go?
0: Right, and let's also put them on the spot. How low can we go? yeah?
2: <laughs> well, it certainly it'll partly depend on the NOx inlet concentration, mm-hmm. um, but uh, you know we've demonstrated outlets as low as two to five ppm. Oh wow! You know, a lot of our Great. systems are guaranteed uh, you know ten ppm or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd say that's a pretty common uh, outlet concentration to reach, um, and you know, NOx requirements vary from country to country, and even in the U.S. Uh, regionally, uh, you know, in areas that are having problems with ozone non-attainment—that's the the EPA's name for a, a region where the ambient ozone levels are high. Well, then the NOx outlets are going to be lower. Um, so it's a it's a. It can vary place to place what is needed, but, you know, will adapt to what's needed by the the refinery.
1: So let me ask another question. If someone is planning for um, NOx reduction, and let's say their target at one point is, let's say, 50 parts per million NOx, but then as time goes on, um, it goes down to 10, is that something that can easily be um, modified or taken care of in the existing equipment, or does it need to be sized ahead of time for that really low concentration? Um, so how how would that work?
2: Yeah, I mean that's really interesting because ozone generators have a lot of turnup capacity, so um, you know that that'll come a little bit uh, by sacrificing their efficiency. So they can certainly produce more ozone. Mm-hmm. Um, but the utility consumption rate may go up slightly disproportionately. So you, you may get 10% more ozone at 20% more utility consumption or something along that line. Um, okay. Yeah, certainly the more you can plan ahead for what you actually need, I think the better you are, but, yeah. the, but if it worked out that you, know, you designed for say, you know, 40 or 50 PPM and then later you said, well, I really need 10, uh, I think you can get there you know, in many cases Okay. And I would always tell—I mean, any
3: any new anybody building a new FCC when they only when they say they're only looking at socks in particular and that's all they need, you know—I would always tell them, you know, what are your long-term plans? Because at some point, knocks may come down to surprise you. So. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you don't, if someone didn't choose low tox and they were going to say, well, we don't know what we want to do. Well, you better leave a space for something. Right. You know, if you're going to put an SCR in, exactly. leave some space for it and be able to handle the pressure drop.
1: Yep. Just or, like I tell or, my
3: you know, kids. And or leave the space in the, in the provisions for low in.
0: <laughs>
3: um, yep. I would much rather see them put low in the future than in an SCR, but right. you know, plan on something. You know, we're, we're there to help the client along in the long term.
1: So have a backup we can,
3: plan we can have that socks in particular controlled and we just want to make sure that they're in the right place and the right state of mind and have space and
2: configuration to do the knocks when it surprises them in the future right. yeah more and more countries are looking at NOX regulations as as time's moving forward so it's it, it may be five years down the road it may be 10 years down the road but you can be pretty sure it's coming well i'm going to say and you're building an fcc a new fcc it's you know
3: it's got a projected life of 20 to 25 plus years.
1: I was gonna you know, say, it's going to say it's going to be there it. a while.
3: <laughs> you know, if you look at FCCs in the US, they're, they're running ones that were built back in the well, 50s. Well, I can say even at the end of World War II. Oh, wow. So, you, you
2: yeah, know, the it, last it, one was built in maybe the around somewhere around 1980. You know? Yeah, in mm. the US. So,
3: I mean, it's got it, it they're quite old, but as I said they're running a lot older ones. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. You know, the fact that you build one today doesn't mean it's. You know, it, it's obsolete
0: in 25 years, right? Yeah, one thing we haven't really talked about, though, is, um, you know, many times regulatory regions change their you know requirements as the years go by and more technology is available uh, to, to mitigate whatever pollutant exists. Are we seeing worldwide NOx requirements being lowered everywhere beyond the U.S. as well? Or, or is that not the case?
2: Certainly uh, other countries are becoming more aware of it. Mm -hmm. Um, China has, you know, installed a lot of uh, NOx control solutions and systems. Um, Other countries are are moving in that direction, but we Mm -hmm. haven't seen the same widespread adoption as we have in the U.S.
0: Right. So this is like a back pocket option like we've been talking about and. Leaving the space there to be able to execute it later, if you need to, is always the best thing to do. And uh, if those regulations become tighter, you've got an option.
1: Yeah, exactly. Good. Yeah. Okay. Smart.
0: Well, awesome. All right. Well, hey, well, I, it sounds uh, like uh, it's a great option for those uh, Belco scrubbers that are out there, and uh, certainly and something even to the non-Belco, yeah, yes, even the exactly.
1: non customers. That's exactly, that's exactly
2: <laughs> right. So, anyone
1: uh, who needs NOx reduction control or NOx control
2: yeah absolutely Knox yeah. emissions
0: control yeah so <sighs> there you want, go thank you ed <laughs> yeah we want to thank you uh, scott and ed for being with us today and for those of you listening in uh to the pre-recorded uh session stick around for a few minutes if you haven't asked your question yet click on, uh, click on the q a at the bottom and get that in and um uh, we will have our live q a session coming up
1: right coming now. coming up next
0: exactly <laughs> We're back. Aloha. It's Good to have everybody with us. And uh, if you haven't put your question in yet, please do. We've only got like six or so questions right now. So these are, uh, these
1: are heavy questions. I, some I think of them they're are, gonna, are. They're oh, going to take I, some time. I
0: think. I think we just had another <laughs> taker as well. But See? Uh, See? it's good. To, it's good to be here for the question and answer session. I hope uh, everybody found that presentation interesting. I know uh, uh, Belco is a, a very versatile scrubber, and it's uh, interesting to hear all the various things it can do, but, uh, so let's get busy with these questions and uh, the answers.
1: Okay, here we go. So, Scott and Ed, are you ready? Um, Certainly. How, do, how does partial burn versus full burn operation affect NOx production at the FCC?
2: You wanna take that, Scott? You are the...
3: Uh... Oh, I'll take that. I, I, I won't profess to be the, the expert on what's happening in the regenerator. <laughs> But, uh, you know, generally when, you, when you've got, uh, you know, oxygen present, you know, that certainly can drive more formation of the NOx. Um, so in a partial burn, you, you've got less, uh, you know, less oxygen available to you. And, um, you know, more, more propensity, more, more, more opportunity to have NOx when you're in full burn. Uh, I,
2: I think it really changes the balance of where the NOx is formed. You know, yeah. In a full burn, it's going to form more in the regenerator. In a partial burn, it's going to form more in the CO boiler where you're, you're doing the additional fuel firing. So, you know, in those cases, you have different options, like we were talking about SNCRs and low-nox burners and overfire air and things you can do in that regard that you can't do on a full burn unit.
3: I mean, to a certain extent, I mean, I, I've been to units that had full, were in full burn operation and you could see them play with their uh, excess O2 content,
0: mm-hmm.
3: you know, I play with, but adjust their, uh, their their O2 content to adjust NOx at the stack and adjust CO at the stack. And certainly when they were having higher oxygen and driving the CO down, they were seeing their NOx would increase. Right. So, I mean, there, there's, you know, relationships there. Right.
1: Okay. Yeah, so I think as on.
2: far as our technology, it doesn't really matter yeah. what the upstream FCC exactly. is. You know, it's partial burn, it's uh, uh, full burn, it's just, you know, we need to know what the concentration in ox coming to the scrubber mm-hmm. is.
1: All right. So, got quite a few questions about the ozone generation. So, um, let's start uh, talking about some of that. How is ozone brought and stored for injection?
2: Right, So the, the interesting thing is ozone isn't actually stored. Um, mm. We make it on demand on the site. So uh, the system usually includes an ozone generator, which you have to supply with oxygen. So oxygen is right. a very common industrial gas. Uh, a lot of refineries have oxygen pipelines, if not going into their refinery, running down the street in front to the, to the neighboring refinery. And if, if it's not available by pipeline, um, certainly uh, we've probably all seen oxygen trucks on the road uh, you know, driving down the highway. And those have liquid oxygen in it. Uh, you can vaporize that on-site and feed that to the ozone generator. There's also some uh, options for on-site oxygen generators. Um, anyway, <laughs> those are the ways that you get the oxygen onto the site. The ozone generator uses proprietary technology to take the oxygen at, let's call it 98% oxygen, plus or minus, mm-hmm. and convert it to ozone. And the way the technology works, the, the scrubber and the low-tox technology will create a demand signal to the ozone generator. So if you're starting up, maybe you're on clean air, the whole scrubber's commissioned, but you're not actually firing fuel yet, your NOx would be zero, and the ozone generator wouldn't actually make any ozone. It would just sit there and wait. So there's no ozone stored, there's no ozone trucked in, it's just the oxygen comes in, the electricity meets the oxygen at the ozone generator, Mm -hmm. the proprietary dielectric technology creates a, a very small corona discharge, and then that's where the oxygen is converted into ozone, and then it is immediately piped to the low tox system and injected. So obviously there's
0: going to be a little bit of lag time between sensing NOx and, and ozone production, but I would assume not much of one.
2: Yeah, I would say it's, uh, you know, just a few seconds or, or maybe a minute or two, right. something on that order. You know, now you're starting to get into, well, how long is your SEMS line from the, the top of the stack down to the analyzer? Right. Doesn't take long for the the electron to get from the analyzer over to the ozone generator to say, hey, make a little more, make a little less. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, there's the, the pipe, whatever, you know, couple hundred feet, couple hundred feet of pipe from, you know, the ozone generator to the uh, ozone injection point. So uh, those are where the, the little lag times can come in, but it's really very little time. Gotcha. Okay. And on, on, on the ozone generation,
3: I mean, we, we, this is not the ideal source of the option, but we have had some customers use uh, um, a high purity, very dry air, you know, like instrument air, quality air. To, well, it's uh, got to be use,
2: better than instrument air.
3: Yes, it's got to be drier, certainly than instrument quality air yeah, right. uh, to feed into the ozone generators to make uh, provide the oxygen to make the ozone. It just the, the economics. If you've got availability to have oxygen, it's much better than using.
0: Uh, yeah, so obviously, uh, if you know, they're using air. right, and so obviously they're using uh, instrument air, you'd have to have desiccant and other things to make sure
2: uh, you've got uh, again really dry.
3: better than instrument quality. Air.
2: Better, better, right. Yeah, there's there's more specifications about hydrocarbons and it, it has to oh, be yeah. quite a bit drier, yeah. so yeah. It, it's a little different. But
3: but we have had some customers use that and it, you know it works. It it just you know you, you change around the capex and opex a little bit. Right.
1: So ambient air is not an option.
3: Yeah. No. Um, no. <laughs> okay. Like...
1: All right. So that answers actually one of the questions that we got. Um, so uh, another question is is the ozone addition continuous?
2: If the NOx production is continuous, then yes. Um, So the the NOx will come into the scrubber and react with the ozone that we're injecting into the scrubber. It'll travel through the scrubber for a few seconds, and the SEMS analyzer at the outlet of the scrubber will read the NOx, and it'll continuously adjust the ozone injection rate to achieve the set point that I talked about Earlier. So if, if you're trying to, if you type in 20 ppm, then you'll see just the typical control loop dynamics of, oh, I'm at 20.5, a little bit more ozone. Oh, I'm at 19.5, a little bit less ozone. And it'll just, you know, control in a nice control loop. Good deal.
1: Okay. Um, so there's a question here about the ozone generator. Um, can you talk about ozone generator reliability and ambient? Ozone analyzer noise resulting in trips?
2: Interesting. Sure. So, uh, ozone generators are, are very highly reliable. Um, you know, they certainly can run for well over five years of operation. We've had some where, you know, years after the, the first turnaround and after the second turnaround, they say, gee, should we even open this thing? It's been running so good. Well, what's the, f- the issue? And that's partly because it's using clean gas from, from the oxygen, and uh, electric power. So there's no moving parts other than your typical control valve, um, which is in clean gas service, so it doesn't really foul up or anything. Mm-hmm. So the ozone generator itself is highly reliable. The, the dielectrics inside are highly reliable. Um, the second part of that question with the ambient ozone monitors, we'll we'll just give some background. I I think the person who asked maybe knows about it, but uh, a lot of other people in the audience may not. Um, Because of the issues with the ozone that I mentioned in the other part of the broadcast where you can get uh, respiratory irritation from breathing ozone. Um, So the system comes with ambient ozone monitors in case uh, a pipe flange or some valve packing Develop some leaks of the ozone so that you're aware of it. And uh, those ambient ozone monitors use ultraviolet light interference to detect the ozone. But there can be some interferences with things like, well, hydrocarbons, which are probably going to be present somewhere in a refinery. Um, and, you know, over the years, we've also seen things like uh, if somebody is. If, if there's a lot of welding going on in the, in, in the immediate area where the ambient ozone monitor is, it may set it off to read a higher uh, ambient ozone level than is actually there. So as, as we sell these systems, you know, we work with the refinery to develop the appropriate uh, safety Precautions, whether you want to have alarm points, whether you want to have trip points, depending upon different concentrations of uh, the ozone that the ambient ozone monitor thinks it's detecting. I say thinks because, as I said, it could be some kind of interference. But um, those things can certainly be revisited. Um, Exposure to ozone is a time based thing. In other words, you know, at a certain concentration, you can be exposed to it for X hours. At uh, a lesser concentration, you can be exposed to it for 2X hours and not have any kind of problems. So, um, you know, I, I'm guessing that question came from somebody who's operating one of the existing systems, and we could certainly work with you to optimize that and to try to minimize any unnecessary trips if you uh, If that's what's being experienced, or even unnecessary alarms, I know, you know, operators hate having (laughs) alarms going off on their system. Oh, it's the thing again, yeah.
1: And it doesn't actually do any good if it's an alarm you ignore. (laughs) So exactly, that's
0: right. right. Right.
1: Okay, so um, sticking with the ozone theme, I'm going to try to kind of keep these in buckets. Um, There's a question about the ozone lance maintenance and cleaning procedures.
2: Right. So as part of the, I don't want to say annual, but the the turnaround of the entire scrubber, whether that happens uh, four or five, six years uh, as to match the FCC turnarounds, you know, you just go inside and you, you inspect the condition of it. Uh, the vast majority have no buildups and no noticeable effects. Uh, you know, we have had some now operating 10 years and, you know, wow. there's there's been a little, you know, uh, corrosion or erosion, uh, a couple different spots. Mm-hmm. Um, so the ozone lances are n- not, uh, not generally the most complicated things, but they are made out of special materials. So, you know, in those cases we would just uh, replace, you know, if, if a weld needs to be rewelded or something, but it's pretty light maintenance work compared to w- everything else going on in a refinery during a turnaround.
1: Okay, great. Okay. Sorry, my allergies are uh, in high gear.
2: <laughs> I um, wonder where you went. All I later. know I disappeared. I figured yeah. you didn't need to watch
1: <laughs> me blow my nose on, on camera. Oh. All right. <laughs> um, okay, so here's the question about: um, Can you help me understand? Can you help me to understand more about disposal of effluent and associated challenges?
3: So the the, the the byproduct of of, of scrubbing NOx, you know, in the scrubber is you're going to form uh, uh, sodium nitrate in the in, in the in, in the scrubbing liquid, and that'll come out as the, uh, the scrubber effluent. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, in a refinery that's got a large wastewater treatment plant, you know, it can be set up with a section at the front end of that plant to basically do denitrification. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, release you know release it as nitrogen uh, to the atmosphere. So that that that's been a common approach. Um, some places are allowed to you know discharge to the environment sodium nitrate, but you know sodium nitrate and nitrates into the environment is probably not a great thing to go into. Uh, you know, the, the, it's kind of runoff you see from fertilizer runs.
0: So the client would have to analyze their treatment ponds and make sure they, they, have they
3: first look at their discharge permits. Are they in a sensitive area where the study of nitrate might cause an issue? Um, right, a lot of places aren't, and, and if they were, then then look at you know how to deal with it on the wastewater treatment side. And, and we can certainly sure. help them hook, hook them up with someone who can look at the uh, the denitrification process on the,
0: yeah, because, the wastewater treatment side of things. Right, because the nitrate adds some BOD to the wastewater effluent yeah. coming off the
2: unit. Okay. Yeah, that yeah it, it acts like a fertilizer. And, sure. and the other thing I'll add is some of our clients already have other wastewater disposal issues. So, you know, some of our existing clients are using deep well injection. And in that uh, case, it doesn't really matter. You're deep well injecting a lot of things already. And a little down. bit of sodium nitrate won't make any difference. Right. So, it really becomes site-specific. Yeah. Some clients are also able to just blend it with other wastewater streams and get to an acceptable concentration. Yeah,
3: I and mean, generally speaking, the wastewater that's being discharged has sodium sulfate in it, so you've added a little bit of sodium nitrate to it because the sodium nitrate sodium sulfate is probably a predominant salt that's in the, in the wastewater. Right.
1: Okay, so related to the aqueous phase, um, this person is asking about NO3. They say it's toxic in the aqueous phase. What are you doing with that?
2: Right, well, that's the thing is it reacts with the uh, caustic soda in the scrubber and it doesn't stay as free uh, NO3, it becomes NaNO3 and that makes the sodium nitrate. So it becomes a stabilized salt.
1: Okay, great. Um, How does the process deal with nitric acid droplets carried up with the gas stream. And to what efficiency does do these droplets, does the droplet capture get? What's the efficiency rate, I guess, of this?
3: So, you know, you're, you're, you're doing this oxidation in the very front end of the scrubber forming, you know, the NO to NO2 and the NO2 to N2O5 and then the, the water forming the sodium, I mean, forming nitric acid. You know, so following those reactions, you've got a bunch of levels of liquid-to-gas contact in the scrubber that are there. They were, you know, they're primarily there to scrub SO2 and absorb that. Um, and they do. So, and nitric acid is much easier to scrub than the uh, the SO2 from the flue gas. So you've got lots of liquid-gas contact that will scrub out that uh, nitric acid. And so you really won't see sodium. You won't see nitric
0: acid emissions out the stack, or
3: you know. Uh, really sodium nitrate uh, munitions out the stack.
0: So in essence, the Belcourt-Scarber has sufficient L to G ratio to be able to get efficient removal. Yeah. And and, and I'll throw this,
3: uh, someone may may ask this question later on, but, you know, in the process, we're not, you know, all the ozone that we inject doesn't necessarily react with all the uh, the nox that's in the flue gas. Right. You've got some excess ozone. Um, that that SO2 scrubbing aspect of things, because you're scrubbing SO2, it's not immediately turning into sodium sulfate. It's really it's, it's, it's being there as uh, sulfite and bisulfite in the liquid, and that wants oxygen. And, and the yeah. you know that excess ozone reacts really you know is absorbed really quickly by the, the liquid and reacts very quickly with the uh, uh, sulf- sulfite and bisulfite you know, to make that into sulfate. So you, you don't have any excess, you know, you don't have ozone emissions either. Right. You know, then all that liquid to gas contact there does, is really there to, to make the system
0: work. So the ozone addition actually assists in, in the case of oxidation of the sulfites then?
3: Well, it, it's, it's, yes. <laughs> the sulfites are there to get, to get the, the excess ozone. And <laughs> then, uh, you know, we, we probably do more oxidation outside the scrubber, uh, you know, to get to the low outlet limits for sulfites. And bisulfide.
2: But if we're planning a system uh, with all three removal, NOx, SOx, and particulate, then we would balance the amount of oxidation that we do in the scrubber with the ozone versus the amount of oxidation we do external of the scrubber in our purge treatment unit. Uh, You know, we would adjust that if if the low tox technology is going in from the beginning.
1: Okay. All right, so let's keep moving on here. Has Lotox been applied to a Lurgy scrubber design?
2: Not that I'm aware. Let... Any <laughs> Anytime, you. You, write us an email. We'll be happy exactly to have look at it.
1: Excellent. So it is possible, it sounds like. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, we'd have to design for it. Um, Okay, so next question is, uh, what's the CapEx and OpEx of the low-tox technology?
2: Wow.
1: Uh, (laughs) 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 Uh, That's a broad question.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, I mean, the biggest factor will be flue gas flow rates and NOx inlet concentrations and, uh, you know, FCC flue gas flow rates, you know, just to put it in perspective, we have scrubbers ranging from roughly eight feet in diameter to 32 feet in diameter. So, uh, you know, and and then you throw in, you could have a, you know, inlet concentration of 50 ppm or uh, 150 ppm. Mm. Uh, So, you know, from the top range to the bottom range, that's uh, all over the map. Now. Extremely broad range. So there's mm. there's no way to, uh, you know, broad brush, uh, you know, give those kind of numbers. Um, but let's say probably starting with seven figures and working upwards. I mean, that's about the best. You know, is it bigger than a bread box? Yeah, <laughs> thirty-two feet definitely is. That's for sure. <laughs>
1: Oh, okay. So contact us. We can work with you to get you the CapEx and OpEx information that you need. Yeah, we'd be happy
2: to look at the specifics.
1: Absolutely. Um, Okay. So um, next question is, isn't LOTOX a LINDY technology? What is the role of Cleantech, Belco, in this offering?
2: Yeah, so uh, the LOTOX technology and the LOTOX trademark are from LINDY, Belco has uh, a license to use the technology and the uh, trademark um, throughout the world, exclusively, and for quite a long time now. Uh, I don't. I, I think I said 17 years in the earlier broadcast, so I'll stick with that answer. Well, uh, I'll correct you. I was, I was looking
3: back. We we started up our first unit in
2: 2007. Okay. Right, but we licensed the technology in 2005. Well yeah. God. No. Three. Right um <laughs> anyway three
1: five oh, I, I was, <laughs> yeah, was there on my memory i was looking at an installation list that <laughs> okay. had dates on it <laughs> awesome okay so next question is how is ozone injected to the scrubber does it enter just through a nozzle or does it require some type of distribution
2: yeah it does you we do use uh like a distributor sort of like an air sparger uh you know people may uh Easily be able to picture that in their mind. I think if you have that uh, as a basic idea, uh, we just try to keep it simple. Um, That would be, you know, we we only use, you know, maybe three, four, or five lances, um, and try to keep it simple.
1: Okay. Good. Do. Simple is good.
2: Um,
1: Next question. Um, This relates a bit to I think what we've already talked about, but I'll I'll ask it anyway. What will the impact on caustic or other chemical consumption with the nox removal and how the effluent will be treated? Normally with caustic injection, we get sodium sulfate and sodium bisulfite, but with this nitric acid, what will be the impact on the effluent treatment and how the cake will be removed?
3: So the, you know, you know, you'll make nitric acid in the, you know, in the oxidation process, uh, so you'll scrub nitric acid. So you're gonna remove, I forget what the, the mole ratio is, but, you know, you're going to neutralize that with NAOH. So the NOH, it'll consume a little bit more NAOH to scrubber caustic. You know, and on the water treatment side of things, you're really not doing anything different. You're still going to, you know, you have water with dissolved nit- you know, sodium, sl- Sodium sulfite, sodium bisulfite, sodium sulfate, and now sodium nitrate going from the scrubber being purged, going to a purge treatment unit. The purge treatment unit will oxidize the COD from the sulfites and bisulfites to sulfate and uh, take care of that aspect of it. It it has no impact on the the, the sodium nitrate. And then you'll uh, dewater or you'll separate out the catalyst fines that you also know separate those, those out and do de- water them into bins and again it has no effect the, the nitrates have no effect on
0: that yeah the nitrates are completely soluble so they yeah, yeah, stay in right, the water portion they won't be in the cake salt. right
2: yeah no no cake involved in the tox process yeah. right
1: okay darn it i was kind of hoping for cake no no me <laughs> too. Our, our pie that would be even <laughs> pie. better I know. yeah donuts
2: <laughs>
0: pie day is uh we already have pie day. Uh, yeah a few months when's right. donut day though yeah i know oh,
1: yeah
3: isn't every day pie day?
1: <laughs> and, and donut day. could be. Okay, this is our last question. So in your PHA analysis of the tox system, do you have any critical shutdowns to prevent overpressure events or for any other reasons?
2: Well, certainly, yeah. Um, the HAZOP review and the PHA of having ozone on site uh, is something we've worked with refineries, uh, you know, pretty much on all of our installations. Um, And yeah, we can work with the clients to uh, go through those reviews and analysis. I mean, uh, ozone production, because it's dependent on the electricity, it shuts off really, really fast. Um, If you say stop, the electricity stops, and ozone production ceases. So, um, And as I said, it's not stored on site. So there's no volume of a quote unquote, Hazardous chemical uh, that needs to be evaluated. Like, uh, you know, if you have an SCR and you have a, you know, 5,000 gallon tank of anhydrous ammonia, and uh, somebody drives a pickup truck into that tank and you have a big release, you could be affecting not only people on the refinery but neighbors of the refinery. And and there's nothing like that with the ozone technology uh, or the low tox system. So. You know, in that way, it's just the volume of the pipe. You know, a four-inch pipe with ozone, in it doesn't actually have much volume. So you keep it below uh, the the threshold limits uh, that are established.
3: And I'll, I'll add to that: the, I mean, it's not that we have just one or two systems out there running in refineries. We've, been uh, the installation list after our the pre-recorded discussion, you know, we've got 37 units out there running. Uh, using ozone generators and providing denox as part of our scrubbers. And then they're all in oil refineries on FCC. So that's a, that's a lot of units, a lot of experience. So we've gone through a lot with, with HazOps and and with suppliers and, and with customers that you have systems that work and are safe. To right. do. Yep. And so ultra we have 17 units out there that have provisions, you know, for in the future when and if they need to use Lotox. Everything's there except for the ozone generators.
0: Right ready to go once you get nose yep. ozone generator and you're good to go.
1: Great. Well, wonderful. Thank you, Ed and Scott, for yeah. being, being with us today. Absolutely. Um, don't forget to take our survey at the end of the program. Yep. Um, and we look forward to seeing everyone for our next pit stop.
0: Absolutely. What is it about,
1: Jeannie? I- was afraid you were going uh, yeah. to ask me. I think
0: I think I think, <laughs> I, think I'm, I I have a little hint here about alkylating the other olefin.
1: Oh yes, that sounds mysterious.
0: The other olefin makes a valuable product. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
1: that's right yeah and if you haven't registered scandalous right yeah
0: and if you haven't registered uh, for that uh, next month's podcast go ahead and do that as quick as you can at refiningpitstop.com again if you uh you know want to review the previous belco scrubber conversation it's it's on the uh, refiningpitstop.com website as well a whole series of additional podcasts coming up the rest of this year about uh, these whole processes so so until next month keep it running down the track And we'll see you when we're back for our next pit stop.